Hello and welcome. I'm Simon. And I'm Alexander. We are Knee Deep in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 257, recorded on the 27th of February 2024. You'll be able to find this and our previous episodes on kneedeepintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. We seem to have lost Haney, and I'm not really certain where she is. So I don't know where she is, but I know what she is doing. Ah. She is on vacation. What? Yeah, I know, right? It's it's weird, but apparently that's a finished thing. <laughs> okay, yeah. But, but hey, um, enjoy vacation. Something else we enjoy is certainly when our listeners reach out to us, uh, and we have received some really good feedback on our quality episode, which we will save until Haney is back so she can respond to this amazing feedback. But we are very happy that Bjorn and Bart reached out. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll follow up on the quality episode. Um, we are also very happy that a friend that we met in um, Mechelen, if I'm not mistaken, Thomas, uh, have reached yes. out on a previous episode. So we'll we'll follow up on that as well. But we just wanted to let you know that we get your feedback. We appreciate that. And to everyone else that haven't sent us an email, you are more than welcome to do so. Uh, podcast at kneedeepintech.com. I do think that info at kneedeepintech.com also works. But you're more than welcome to reach out over email or via LinkedIn's new messaging function, uh, or of course, Twitter or whichever channel you prefer. I find it very, very exciting that the the episodes that create the most interest and in, in, in create the most discussion is the softer episode, mm -hmm. i.e. not the hardcore technical episodes. So I'm super happy to hear hear people's opinions and super happy to engage in, in conversation. The the discussion we had with Bjorn was really exciting. I learned a ton. And that's the best yeah. part when we learn new things. Absolutely. We now know that a giraffe isn't circle-shaped. Among other things, indeed. Yeah. But uh, I know when when we planned this episode that I, you were almost happy that Haiti wasn't here and you almost tried to push me out because apparently something has dropped from Power BI the last couple of weeks. So could you start with that? Indeed. So the Power BI desktop February update and also the February fabric update have come and gone. And they were shock full of of stuff at a level that there was a number of conversations on twitter or x or whatever it's called this week that looked at how do we how do we keep up with all these things so that that's a question that i've raised multiple times on this podcast we've had mm -hmm. focus segments on it it's a thing we are in the thick of it we're sort of kind of used to drinking from the fire hose that the tech industry is. Mm -hmm. But for most people, this this is overwhelming, to put it mildly. And with, with Power BI and Fabric, this is this is becoming a bit concerning. The speed of innovation is it's it's no longer insane. It, we need to figure out a new new word. It's ludicrous to mm -hmm. to um, it's ludicrous speed. And we apparently yeah. went straight to ludicrous speed. So what we've had this 
month. There, there's a lot in the, the blog post, but I'm going to highlight a couple of them. And one is visual calculations. So I've, I've had my eye on this for quite some time, long before it was um, in, in any way, shape or form, uh, public knowledge. And this one is strange. Mm-hmm. So the, the language of Power BI is the same language as Excel as in DAX, data analysis expressions. And DAX, there, there's a rumor that, that says that DAX, there's, there's really only three or four people that understand DAX. Two of them are Italian, and the other two are the people that built it. Now, that's not the case. DAX is not any more difficult than any other language, really. But it has some interesting quirks that make it different from uh stuff like Python or, or Visual Basic or whatever you're, you used to be programming. Like Swedish. Like Swedish, indeed. Indeed. It's not a more difficult language than anything else. It's no. just different. But the thing is that people think that DAX is hard and that has sort of kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. And visual calculations is a way to simplify DAX. That's that's how it's been, been um, touted. Meaning that you can attach DAX to a specific visual. You can write DAX that only impacts that visual. And in that way, uh, kind of decoupling it from the entire data model. Mm-hmm. Uh, read the blog post. It, it explains it way better than I do. But it is now a new way of using DAX to influence and, and change uh, visuals in your report. Is it better? No, I don't think it is. Is it worse? No, that not that either. Is it different? Yes. Will it be more? Um, will it give you more options? Absolutely. Is it foolproof? It is absolutely not. Daniel Otukir had a, a discussion on Twitter the other day, and he showed how you can create incorrect um, summary rows using visual calculations. So mm-hmm. you still need to know how things work. It's not this DAX for dummies, like like somebody said. But but would you say that it is a good way of starting out with DAX? That is the question, isn't it? <laughs> and I'm going to say no, not mm-hmm. really. And I'm, I might be forced to eat this, but in my view... Starting with something that is limited um, and and also very scoped as this is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. will, I think, hurt you in the long run. I think it will be easier to learn to use visual calculations to good use if you know Mm -hmm. DAX than to learn DAX in general after having seen visual calculations. That's mm-hmm. that's the the feeling that I have. Um, I'm, I'd love to have a discussion with someone who actually knows DAX. Funny thing, I happen to know exactly who is the PM behind this, and um, maybe we'll have a discussion with him. Yeah, I think that I know for a fact that he'll be at Bits. We'll mm-hmm. we'll see if we can have a chat with him. Then something else came out about a year ago. Uh, Matthias Tierbach and his cohorts came up with Tyndall. TMDL, the um, the new file format in Power BI. So mm-hmm. you're no longer bound to the 
somewhat creative binary format, but now you can have a text format, which is way better for CI/CD, mm-hmm. and it also decouples the model from from uh, the visuals and all those things. It is now possible to save Tyndall format natively in Power BI Desktop, which is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. You no longer need to use third-party tools and create a creative uh, CI/CD stuff. It's it's there. It's just file save us, boom, you're done. It's a preview feature, just like anything else. So you need to turn it on. The uh, the list of preview features in Power BI Desktop is about the length of my arm, but it's there. Really, mm-hmm. really exciting. But uh, sorry, uh, since I don't know exactly where everyone works within the community, was Matthias employed by Microsoft or is he? No. no. So this is no. actually a community effort that's now an integrated part of Power BI. It's ish so <laughs> ish. He, he was still a microsoft initiative but matthias mm-hmm. okay. did a lot of the uh, initial work on it mm-hmm. cool and it's also my possibly my favorite data related name tim sounds so cute yeah fair enough i i could name i could name a dog Tyndall. easy there we Not have the episode name a dog named Tyndall. <laughs> we should really start to name our episodes again. It was so much fun back in the early days. It was, it was. Mm-hmm. And the third part that I want to talk about on the Power BI February update is something that might have flown under the radar for a lot of people. So custom visuals, we've had those for years and years and years. What we have not had is a local storage API. So we have never been able to read and write to local storage, i.e. cache. Mm-hmm. We've always been forced to write and read and write to, to the cloud from security ah. standpoint. That is a reasonable mm-hmm. thing. But now they've uh, added the, the new uh, local storage API, which will enable you to read and write locally. I can't wait to see where we go with some more complicated visuals. There's a couple of, of interesting visuals that essentially grants you right back so you can sort of kind of turn Power BI into Excel, as in you can change data on the fly. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's somewhat convoluted because you're talking to an Azure function, which in turn is talking to a SQL database, and then it comes back. So this may or may not give them uh, new opportunities to to make that faster, for instance. Mm -hmm. Also, when it comes to fast and um, sort of kind of connected to the Timdo stuff is the new Git uh, integration. So they said from the beginning, we're going to do CICD right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. We we can talk (laughs) about that for a while, what right means, but the idea is there. Uh, just like we got the deployment pipelines in Power BI, the CI/CD implementation in, in Fabric has always required you to use the native tooling i.e. inside of Fabric. Mm-hmm. That means that it's not possible to take your already current working CI/CD pipeline and f- put Fabric in there. You have to do it the other way around. You have to force mm-hmm. whatever you had into Fabric. And the whole idea with a square peg into a round hole with enough force, you can probably make it fit, but it's going to squeal. Now they've exposed the 
Fabric uh, Git REST APIs. So it is possible to do these things from outside of Fabric. Now we're cooking. That mm -hmm. I am really excited to see where we're going. Again, this is preview stuff. It is the early days, but this gives us an idea of where we're going. I, I'm known for not being overly <laughs> happy with Fabric. I know that. And I, I know for a fact that when this is all done, mm -hmm. I'll be very, very quiet and very, very happy in the corner. Because if everything that they're working on comes to fruition, Mm -hmm. This will be the coolest thing ever. So this is just one part. And finally we can do, or we can see the, the, uh, on the horizon, the ability to do proper uh, data ops and those things with mm -hmm. uh, fabric. So lots of interesting stuff coming and I cannot wait to see where we go from here. But I do think like, like you said, you're known for not being the biggest fan of fabric out there. I'm the same with windows 365. Our voices needs to be there to ensure that the product moves in the right direction. Like I'm much more positive to Windows 365 nowadays than I were when it was released. They are moving in the right direction. They are making huge improvements. They have fixed a number of things that weren't working from the start. I don't like the way they designed the service as a concept from the beginning. But it's obviously moving in the right direction. Customers are fairly happy. And, and I do think that... Going back to the quality aspect that we talked about uh, in our previous episode, what is quality to me isn't necessarily quality to a customer. And as long as a customer is happy, they will see it as good quality, which is something that Bjorn gave us some feedback on, which we'll follow up on later. But like, I, I think I have other MVPs who are very open with the things they don't like. And it's still feedback. Like as long as they can reason around why Microsoft listens and then they have to like, is it how valuable is the feedback? But it's still feedback. It's someone saying something other than this is great because if everything were great, they wouldn't have anything else to do. So um, it's fun, funny you should mention this because there there was a discussion the other day on Daniel Otikir's, um where he showed the the potential issues with with Sabri huh? Rose, mm -hmm. and uh, there is a troll in the Power BI community. I'm not going to mm -hmm. say say his name because mm -hmm. he is, in my view, a troll that had a lot of opinions. And one of the mm -hmm. things that he uh, pointed out, well, Daniel said, "Well, you 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 said this previously, so clearly mm -hmm. I, I have a point here." To which mm -hmm. he said, no, 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 I said that when I was an MVP. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I couldn't tell the world what I really meant when I was an MVP mm -hmm. because MVPs, uh, they, they have to lie to stay MVPs. And <laughs> yeah, okay, that's, that's cute. That's fantastic. Yeah. So he, he basically said that everyone who, who, who's an MVP is a Microsoft shill and mm -hmm. we um, are afraid of and and we mm -hmm. don't want to say the truth mm -hmm. which i have to respectfully um disagree <laughs> with or call yeah. bullshit but because as you say there's a lot of us who are not overly excited mm -hmm. with a few things mm -hmm. and that's the kind of feedback as you said if you mm -hmm. can explain why something is mm -hmm. an issue and and give examples 
that can definitely help the product teams uh, build the the right tooling in the future yeah. because they are anything but dumb on the inside mm-hmm. of Microsoft. They might yeah. not always see things in the same light as I do, but mm-hmm. then again, they talk to different customers than I do. So there's yeah. no point in trying to figure out, am I right? Are they wrong? Mm-hmm. No, it's it's all about perspectives and priorities. Yeah. Uh, on that, we should really do a focus episode on the future of community programs, because that is a discussion that's been going around. We'll get back to that with VMware shortly, uh, where they have had um, challenges with uh, former and uh, newly appointed V experts. Same with Citrix program that's uh, currently being discussed highly. So I think like the future of community programs would be, be fun to discuss at some point. And also, like you said, are we not honest to people because we are MVPs? Um, things like that, the the uh, assumptions or prejudice that comes with these programs. You know, it would be really interesting to have a chat with some someone fairly high up in the chain uh, mm-hmm. and then just post a question. How, how would you view an MVP, for instance, yep. saying these things? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, Absolutely. we'd like to take the, the, the answer with a grain of salt. But, <laughs> uh. It is what it is. Uh, but we, we could probably start with that. Do the uh, We have talked about technology for a while, soft things. Let's do some business news first. Uh, and let's start with VMware. Because uh, as some of you might know, uh, Broadcom acquired VMware a while back. And one of the first things they said they would do were to cut out the EUC part. So everything that usually or formerly were named Airwatch, now Workspace ONE, Horizon, all of that is now sold to a investment firm called KKR, which paid roughly $4 billion for the EUC part of VMware. And EUC stands for end-using computing. Thank you. Yes, exactly. End-using computing. So everything that has to do with the workplace side of VMware. So this includes virtualization, uh, IDPs, M- mo- uh, so identity providers, uh, as well as um, device management and some other things. A lot of people see this as a good thing. It, it's been a little bit back and forth. Broadcom is making some very interesting changes to licensing in general, but a lot of people are happy that we now see that the EUC part will keep on living. What I find quite interesting is when you look at KKR's portfolio, because within that is a company called Aludo, which owns Parallels. And Parallels, some of you might know from Mac OS, where you virtualize Windows on top of Mac OS. But Parallels also have their own EUC solution, which is a competitor of Citrix and VMware and Azure Virtual Desktop. And they just announced their DOS, so Desktop as a Service solution, which is a direct competitor to Windows 365. So I wonder what KKR thinks when they have those two companies in their portfolio now. They have a huge amount of other things. Uh, but that is what I kind of uh, look forward to see how they do that and what will happen to the uh, the VMware as we know it, because there are great technologies within, there are great products, and we'll just see what happens in the future. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Something that isn't in the future, but rather in a very good past, is NVIDIA, um, which... <laughs> 
posts revenues that were up 265% uh, year over year, which is just incredible. Someone is purchasing a lot of graphics cards, and, and everyone obviously is aware of why. NVIDIA creates great graphic cards, GPUs for uh, AI workloads. And they are by far the leader. I, I saw a comparison between the value of NVIDIA and the value of Intel. And it was just ridiculous. Like Intel is nothing compared to NVIDIA today. Uh, so well done, NVIDIA. You do great products. The, the reason why I take it up here is, is this good? Because I remember when I built computers back in the days and you had um, NVIDIA and you had Radeon or AMD today. You had choices. Today, NVIDIA is so big that you really don't have that many choices if you aren't very specific in what you want or whatever it might be. So I think we, we might see a challenge in the future where NVIDIA gets too big and too far ahead of their competitors. And uh, I struggle to see who would be able to catch up based on the investments you need to make to create what they are, have been very, very good at creating for years. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes and no. Uh, I've, you're too young to remember Cyrix. <laughs> yes, I am. So back in the day, and we were talking um, mid-90s, there were a number of CPU um, providers. It was mm -hmm. Intel, it was mm -hmm. AMT, AMD, and Cyrix. Mm -hmm. Cyrix was a cheap version, uh, essentially, of, of uh, Intel. It was completely mm -hmm. um, compatible, but it mm -hmm. was slower, it was cheaper, and it mm -hmm. produced more heat. So, mm -hmm. essentially, <laughs> yeah. inferior. But for someone who built their first computer, I, mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. was a very good value for money. Mm -hmm. And We've seen Intel have a completely dominating place in, in the CPU market for mm -hmm. decades. Mm -hmm. Then AMD got their shit together and came out swinging. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not a clear-cut answer if you, you should go for AMD or, or Intel today, especially if you're looking at servers and Threadripper. It's just insane. Mm -hmm. Tony would redo the riot act if you tried to do <laughs> intel because yeah. he 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 kind of enjoyed uh, uh, amd stuff so i think we're seeing the the meteoric rise of nvidia that is true mm -hmm. for the moment amd are not going to sleep with radeon intel intel are definitely not sitting back on their haunches either with their graphics stuff so mm -hmm. it absolutely Depends on, and do not um, mistake ARM for, for being asleep either. No. So there's, exactly. there's a lot of happen, stuff happening at the moment. Mm -hmm. NVIDIA is doing all the right things, but let's see mm -hmm. how it pans out over a couple of years. Yeah. Heading back to technologies, uh, you talked a lot about things that were in preview, and I'm very happy to say that uh, the latest releases from Intune now puts a lot of things into GA, so general availability. So I can't even remember how long some of these things have been in preview. Uh, but with the latest service release, we now got self-deploying uh, autopilot into GA, pre-provisioning, uh, 
uh, a lot of ESP settings uh, and uh, also await final config macOS. And I will explain what all of these things are now. So self-deploying autopilot is basically the ability to use autopilot with Microsoft Intune to take a machine from a shelf, put in power, put in network, press on, and it will then configure itself without any user interaction, without anyone logging on to the machine. This has been working great for years, uh, but now they decided that it was GA. Pre-provisioning, what is the feature that was previously called White Glove, which is a autopilot feature as well, uh, where you pre-download all the content that's needed to do the autopilot provisioning later on um, so that the user, when they get the device, don't need to download everything over their own internet connection uh, and basically fastens the installation of it. ESP is... Fastens. Uh, fastens? Isn't that a word? Well, it is now. <laughs> We can't have more than one name for the episode. Uh, enrollment status page is the ESP, uh, and where we now have some new settings that go on GA. That's the screen you see while Autopilot uh, provisions a machine, and you can't get past that until your settings have been correctly fastened to the machine. Uh, we also have await final config for macOS, which is basically the same thing as the ESP for Windows. Speaking about Mac OS, uh, they now introduce the ability to finally be able to create a new local account on your Mac while provisioning that or enrolling that with Microsoft Intune, basically preparing your local account uh, for a user, uh, which you can then set to be uh, root or admin or local user, whatever you prefer. So that's great. Mm. Another Intune and Copilot related setting is that we now have the possibility to turn off Copilot on Windows with Intune. That's newly introduced and something that I do think a lot of organizations would have liked. Uh, speaking of Copilot, if you are into Copilot and aren't following Jack Robotam, uh, he is the Microsoft Copilot Studio marketing lead. He posts a lot of really cool stuff on LinkedIn on Copilot, and he announced uh, something called Notebooks, which is basically where you can track all your prompts. You can input prompts that are up to 18,000 characters long, uh, and you can basically version your prompts so keep track of your previous iterations of your prompts put in the notebook and save all of that which i find quite useful uh, it's now available on pc or mobile no oh, we invented backups nice <laughs> exactly uh, and finally uh, since we need to talk a little bit about security in this episode as well have you heard about lockbit I have, but don't ask me to to talk about it. <laughs> no, I think they can speak for themselves, and also a lot of intelligence and police services around the world can also be talking about it. Lockbit, um, let's say that it first and foremost used to be a huge ransomware group uh, and a lot of affiliates associated with it that were taken down uh, by cooperation between, uh, among other things, the National Crime Agency of the UK, FBI, Swedish police, and a lot of others. So they seized a lot of servers, they took a lot of data, um, they 
basically. And and the funny thing is that the ransomware gang were hacked by the police because they hadn't patched a PHP vulnerability. Um, they were also quite funny. I, I like when the when the police does things like that. So they put up a website uh, where all the affiliates would get information of what's happened uh, and all the people that they found in the address books and so on got an email saying that hey we will be in touch <laughs> so it was a huge takedown it was a huge success um, I think everyone is very happy with the collaboration between all of these law, law enforcements this is what in the end happens when you uh, report that you have been attacked by a ransomware um, but you might not, as the victim, get any feedback until years later when they tried to take down the entire network. Because this was really successful, but it only took a few days until the actual Lockbit crew, so not the affiliates, resurfaced with new servers and claimed that they will now continue operation and be uh, even more harsh to their targets than ever before. Uh, funny enough uh, and I don't think it's funny for the poor municipality but we have a municipality in Sweden that were hacked by this crew uh, a while back and they are now saying that we will release all of the data we stole from them publicly uh, as a retaliation against the law enforcement agencies so first you take them down and then they resurface a couple of days later and, and starts to rebuild and now they claim that they will be more uh, careful and ensure that they patch their systems. But it's it's always going to be a a game, right? A yeah. game and a counter game. Yeah. Uh, essentially, whack them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the the best way is to never let them in in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and and we have talked about this many times before that the the best way of stopping them is likely that they find it too hard to either do this or that the risk of getting caught for doing it increases. Uh, and I do think the latter will be very challenging. So it's up to us to be better at protecting our IT infrastructures. Uh, and everyone can do their bit. And on that, we're mm-hmm. out of time again. Yeah. <laughs> Next time we will, uh, so we're going to have some um, disruptions in the schedule for mm-hmm. the uh, the foreseeable future because we are looking at the MVP summit. We are looking at SQL bits and we are also yep. looking at the uh, fabric community conference in Las Vegas. So yep. we will be recording here and there. We will have a lot more content, but as we're all going to be traveling, I'm not sure when we'll have time to, uh, to produce the, the episodes. We'll do our best and we'll let yep. you know when we have uh, our next episode, but until then have a wonderful time. Let us know if there's anything we can do. You know where to find us. And until then, have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Native in Tech. Native in Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Heini Hilmarinen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at nativeintech.com.com.